Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a cloudy day here in the capital as once again we ensure we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. My name is Scott Challoner and I'm delighted to be joined on today's programme by Anthony Belcher. Anthony is the Director of the Society of Will Writers. Anthony, very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us today. No, thank you, Scott. It's, it's great to be here, absolutely. It's a real pleasure having you join us as well. Um, the purpose of this discussion, Anthony, is of course to establish your take on leadership first and foremost. So if we dive straight in by looking at that word leader and taking it aside for a moment, I'm interested to understand what that word actually means to you and what you feel a leader ought to be. When I think of when I think of a leader or when I you know, when I think of the word or somebody who I imagine to be one, um, I always I always associate it with trust. For me it about that the person who's making the decisions and knowing that the people who those decisions will affect that those people trust that the person making the decisions is in their best interest if you see what i mean for me i think that's the most important thing i think i don't see how you could lead an organization or lead a group of people without those people having their full trust in you to do the best job and thinking about your personal leadership style, how would you describe that? It's well, in all honesty, it's quite new to me. Um, I've found myself in this position um, somewhat suddenly, but I've had I've had a good amount of time to to learn and get a, an understanding. But for me, I think it's about finding the best way that you can work with each individual member of the team. I think everybody learns in different ways. Everybody communicates in different ways. And I think there's different ways to get the best out of each individual. So for me, it's all about getting to know the person and being able to work with that person on a personal level to, to ensure that they're performing at their best and to make sure that, again, they're getting that trust from you. And I think when it comes to essentially being thrown at the deep end, as it were, and learning pretty much on the job, um, it can come at no more difficult time than uh, this time with the emergence of COVID-19, of course, and how that's challenged businesses, organisations all over the world, governments as well, as they've had to chart a course through this crisis. Um, How has it been sort of behind the scenes for yourselves at the Society of Will Writers in adapting to the challenges that the pandemic has brought about? Uh, It's changed the way we work completely. Um, in fact, because we we we're we're quite a small team, you know the the, the guys of us here at you know head office, um, we there's there's only there's only nine of us, so we're quite used to spending each and every day by each other's side in quite close quarters in you know in the office space that we share, and to suddenly all be thrust into working remotely and not quite having that same level of human in, human interaction that we've all become so accustomed to, I think that's been quite a shock to the system for everybody, but. We've done everything that we possibly can to ensure that not only we have the systems in place to allow everybody to continue working to their absolute best, but we've also made sure that we're keeping that contact with everybody. We're, you know, we're ensuring that everybody is in touch uh, and nobody's getting left out. Because I think that what we've seen certainly, exter- I mean, you know, even externally from us, I think what we've seen quite a lot of is people starting to become a bit isolated or, or feel a, bit, a little bit left out. So we've we've done, you know, we've made sure that we're keeping regular contact. We've made sure that we're having, you know, we're having the Zoom calls, we're having the discussions, we're having the smaller get-togethers with the skeleton staff at social, you know, social distancing in mind and things like that. So 
nobody, I think, on our side of things has been made to feel like they've been left out. But at the same time, we've had to very quickly adapt to actually ensure that when we, you know, because we, we all came into the office on the Monday of that week before before everybody, you know, before all the offices and everything was closing down, we all came in on that Monday. Um, and then we had to be prepared to wake up Tuesday morning to all suddenly be able to carry on doing our jobs as normal from home without it affecting anybody on the outside world. So it's it's been quite a challenge. Um, but we, like I say, we adapted to it pretty quickly. And I think the team has done an absolutely fantastic job to to ensure that you know they're all working to the best of their abilities, it's 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 been quite uh, it's been quite marvellous to see how quickly everybody here has actually adapted to it. Mm, and that's really really good um, to uh, hear as well, because at the forefront of. Um our thoughts during this pandemic has been the importance of mental health and well-being because of the fact that there is now that sort of social isolation element which is affecting a great many people there's also a lot of anxiety and a lot of worry about safety especially when it comes to sort of working under new safety procedures for those continuing to go into sites and those also having to adapt to uh, working remotely and not being able to of course see the people that they uh, work with other than over zoom calls etc um so with regards to the mental health side of things i can imagine that that's been an important point for you but it's seems that you've adapted to that sort of leadership from a distance and over technological means quite well yeah i mean well that's one of my you know that's one of my sort of long-term goals for for the society is actually to really expand our use of technology i think it's come about sooner than perhaps we would have planned to have done it anyway but I think because of everything that's going on at the moment, we find ourselves in a, in, in a position where we have had absolutely no choice but to like get with the times, so to speak. The we all have this, you know, we all have this ability to, uh, you know, our lives have almost been moved entirely online these days. And I think as an organisation, it's it's our responsibility to make use of the technology that's available to us to ensure a that actually like i say everybody is keeping in touch with each other and we are making sure that everybody is okay and they're happy and they're comfortable as much as people are you know desperate to return to the office in a way i think everybody understands why we're not and i think everybody's still doing a good job and they're doing what is necessary and they are you know if they're having problems then they are making they are making me aware of those problems and, and we're doing what is necessary to overcome them so i think it's been it's it, like I say, it's definitely been a challenge for us, but I think that it's the technology side of things that's really enabled mm. certainly me to be able to actually still, be, you know, keep an eye on the team and make sure that everybody is happy and everybody is comfortable, and be able to do that in some cases where there's thirty miles or so between between me and, and, and me and somebody else in the team. So, you know, it's it's certainly it's taken that it's taken that trying to take rather that same kind of atmosphere that we have when we're all together in the office and find a way to adapt it so that we can maintain as much of it as we can whilst we are all whilst we are all separated. So I can imagine that that emphasis on technology is one element from the lockdown that could become a permanent fixture um, at the uh, the society by the sounds of things. Um, with that in mind, um, Anthony, do you think that in the um, the workplace of the new normal that there is going to be a place for that conventional office environment as we knew it? I think I think yes, but I think perhaps not on the scale that we've seen it so far. So I think what a lot of people have come to realise is that perhaps there isn't quite a need for you know for for a large office environment. I think 
where you've got people who are able to do their jobs from home and where you've got people who are comfortable and quite happy to do their jobs from home, then I certainly think in, you know, going going forwards in the future, I think there's going to be a place for a, for a combination of the two. I do think certainly for, for, for our industry and, and for us here at the society, we some of the some of the parts and some of the elements of what we do we actually you know we we rely on having a physical site to make sure that we can do all of those things um but whether or not it means that we downsize in the future or whether it means that we we perhaps we operate with more of a skeleton staff going forward i'm I'm not too sure at this stage but Mm. i think it's likely to certainly everything that's you know everything that many other businesses like ours have been through in the past few months. I think it's likely to have a long-lasting effect on us. Um, Some people might see that for the good. Some people might see that for the worse. But I think we will look to return to our site when we can. Um, Well, obviously, when it's safe to do so. But whether or not that it becomes whether or not it remains permanent from that point onwards is something that we're going to that we'll certainly will be looking to evaluate going forward. And of course, thinking about um, the fact that you sort of came into uh, the uh, role um, quite suddenly, it was a little bit of a curveball uh, for you. Um, in the context of crises such as this, I suppose the natural thing for employees in any sort of institution, organisation, business is to kind of look up in the hierarchical ladder for that direction, reassurance and inspiration as and when they need it. But when you are at the top of the tree, particularly when you've been thrust straight in there like yourself, where is it that you look to for that sort of bit of inspiration as and when you need it during times like this? I, I consider myself to be quite fortunate in the sense that there are so many people that I get to speak to um, each and every day, and whether it's companies that we're partnered with, or whether it's you know the members of our organisation, you know all of the people who are out there doing the will writing, you know have been running their own businesses, some of them for the past twenty five, thirty years or more. I think there's always somebody that I'm able to call upon who, whether it's I need a bit of guidance or whether it's I need a bit of sort of you know even if it's just a bit of a confidence boost to to help me kind of understand that okay you know you know we're on the right track here you know we are doing things well it can be quite you know it can be quite difficult to 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 find that one that one person but i think like i say i think I've, i've been fortunate enough to now have met so many people and met so many different business owners over the years to get a really good understanding of the the different ways that you can you know the different ways that you can do things but what definitely helps me is having such a good team behind me who do give you that confidence boost and 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 are able to give you that reassurance that actually things are okay and you know and think things certainly as long as they're you know as, as far as they're concerned if they're not worried you know and if everything's okay for them then i feel like everything's okay for me at the same time that that's that's kind of the way I tend to look at things, to be honest. But it's all it's all very new. This is the thing, you know. It's like I say, being thrown into the position quite suddenly. I mean, the plan was always for me to take this position on. You know, it, it was never go. It was never going to be a case of it was. It, you know, it wasn't just sprung on me by surprise. Um, it was always in. It was always in the pipeline. But it's it just comes sooner than planned, basically. But as I said, you know, Brian, our director general before me, he. He had such a good grasp on everything. And I think if there was ever one person you could have looked up to for inspiration or you could have looked up to for guidance, it was him. And certainly in the time that I had to be co-director with him, I think I learned an awful lot. So certainly some of the things he has taught me will be the things that I'll carry forward. 
And now thinking about the future and what that might bring as we adjust to the challenges of the year, the new normal, what do you think is on the horizon for yourself and for the society will writers and what do you really hope to achieve? The big thing that I really want to see is some sort of reform in the industry itself. Um, our, you know, the laws for will writing is dating back almost 200 years. And I think whilst that's very much okay because they work and everybody has a clear understanding, so much of our industry has technology available for it now. And whether it's producing documents or whether it's even having the appointments with your clients, so much of it can be done by way of the internet and by way of computers and things like that. Yet, so many other parts of it seem to be getting left behind. So what I would really like to see is uh, an improvement on, on the technology side of things where it, it can enable more people access to will writing services. It enables more people access to a career in will writing, for example. We've made, big, you know, we've made big steps in the past couple of years with regards to training and with regards to the software that we provide to will writers. So I would like to see for that to continue to improve and I'd like to see for that to have a, a, an impact and a, and a positive impact on, on the wider industry. Let's certainly hope that those hopes are borne out um, well over the course of the year, the next uh, few months. And I actually think it would be fantastic, um, Anthony, to have you back on the programme with us um, at some point in the next year, just to see how things are getting on in that respect. Yeah, I'd be more than happy to do that. That would be fantastic. It would be a real pleasure for me to welcome you back. It's certainly been uh, wonderful uh, having you join us today to discuss um, your, of course, COVID-19 experience, as well as your views on leadership. Um, And most importantly, um, Anthony, until we do hopefully speak again in future, do take care and do stay safe with all still going on, because we're still not quite sure the way the pandemic's going to go, i.e. second spikes in cases. So let's keep our fingers crossed that it's going to be all upward from here. Yeah, no, thank you very much. No, it's been it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, obviously, you know, all the best, all the best to yourself, Scott. And uh, you know, I, I look I look forward to I look forward to staying in touch, and uh, and I look forward to to being back in the future. It's going to be good certainly is and for those people tuning into this do continue to be sensible and look after yourselves uh, where you can because it really does make a tangible difference in saving lives and keeping people safe Um, I was speaking today to Anthony Belcher Director of the Society of Will Writers coming up next on the programme today I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with Chief Executive of the Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association Liz Field her role being to head up the trade body responsible for providing such services for both individuals and families. I hope that you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan relished the opportunity to speak with Liz and all of that is coming up next. I'm Jonathan White and we're joined today by Liz Field, CEO of PIMFA, Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association. What a great mouthful. Liz, thank you very much for coming on today. No, thank you for inviting me. No, not a problem. A complete pleasure. And I think uh, it would be a great place to start if we may is maybe a little bit of background uh, for the listeners. Obviously, PIMFA does work in, uh, uh, across the board these days, but, of course, it was only founded uh, uh, three years ago when, of course, um, um, ABFA and uh, the WMA were merged. That's right, yes. Um, I think it really was a, a reflection of, of where the industry was going in terms of uh, the provision of financial advice and helping individuals with their um, personal financial futures that 
we felt that it was necessary for the two bodies to merge together. Um, but both, had, well, certainly the Wealth Management Association and its predecessors have been around for nine, well, nearly 30 years yes. now, actually. But you're quite right. Um, as PIMFA, it's, it's been nearly three years now. And the uh, probably a very wise move because uh, the the uh, uh, has been going from strength to strength uh, since. Uh, what would you say at the moment uh, is are, are are the priorities uh, for yourselves there? Um, I think there are a number of priorities. I mean, we represent a diverse group of um, of businesses which all have one thing in common which is that they face the clients they they face the consumer um so whether that is face to face or whether that is um online uh, it's all about helping individuals to plan and save and invest um for themselves and for their families uh, but we're going through uh, a number of of key challenges i mean um looking at a a, a, a macro level if you like um markets are a little turbulent um it's it's very challenging um to um kind of navigate the the uh, investment management world so uh, even more reason why you need a financial advisor and uh, an investment management firm to help you um because it is quite a complex arena and that's not helped by the lack of financial education uh, more generally so um if you have that as a backdrop uh, and then politically you have what's going on um with post brexit uh, and where the rules are going to come from in future, all of that is still to be negotiated. Um, so it, it's a whole melting pot of issues that uh, that our firms are trying to face. Oh, without a doubt. I think uh, it, maybe Liz, there's quite a few understatements there in terms of the challenges that are yes. uh, occurring <laughs> at the moment. But there's quite a lot to pick up uh, uh, on the on those points because uh, I, I think it's, 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 a, it's a unique time almost, Liz, isn't it, where there are a different set of challenges that advisors and individuals are uh, being confronted with from a lot of different angles. Um, and perhaps if we can start, let's start at the beginning, in fact, you bring up the issue of financial education. Yeah. Now, that's something I think uh, you can talk to anybody in the business and they'd agree with you on that front, Liz. We don't do it properly in this country. Where no. do you think, Liz, it should start from and how do we fix it? Okay, so I think, I mean, the first thing to say is that there's a lot of fantastic effort that we see across the whole of the financial services sector, uh, our sector um, amongst that, where they they try and go into schools um, and provide financial education. You go onto any website um, of some of our members and they've got some great educational material. Um, but there isn't a national framework that 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 wraps itself around the whole of the financial education efforts within our industry. And without that, um, I think they're, they're the, the businesses are facing a lot of um, barriers when it comes to actually getting into schools. Um, I mean, financial education is part of 
the um, per, I think it's personal health and social education um, a piece of the curriculum, but there isn't an exam um, that's at the end of it. So when it comes to schools and, and how they're being judged, it's on metrics such as um, exams and without an exam for financial education, um, I think uh, it's go- it's just it's just going to keep coming up against the same barriers. Mm. Um, and financial education is not the same as maths. So uh, what we'd also mm. quite like to see is is that we have more um, kind of money type questions within the maths curriculum, because that will also then bring it to life uh, for young people, for uh, youngsters and you know school kids. It will bring it to life because it's about things that they have to deal with or, you know, that they they deal with on a day-to-day basis, which is money. So the more that we have that is populated in the curriculum that is about money, um, the better, I think, because that then we'll start to promote a culture of, of savings and investments, which we so badly need in our in in in, in our um, in our country. Without a doubt, it's because and again, you've hit the nail on the head because there's only so much that can be done without the involvement of the curriculum in schools. Yeah, uh, and you know, you can, as you've pointed out very well, uh, it, it, companies can try all they all they might, but it, it's difficult if it's not a, a joint effort. Uh, yeah. And I think as, um, uh, for example, uh, with, with the new government we have, there have already been positive noises at the very least. Whether they become actions is another <laughs> thing entirely regarding what you could consider a, for, a, a far more applied mathematics in, in a lot of uh, uh, the system. But ty- time will tell. And that's something I think we could probably dedicate in the next hour to. Liz. Yes, but I think you're right. We probably <laughs> shouldn't. Um, now, looking at and a couple of other points to pick up that you've already raised here, Liz, uh, and it goes back to the word you've already said, which is uncertainty. Uh, it, it seemed as if the markets, investors, people, we've been in a state of limbo for the last three and a half years. Uh, we're talking, of course, three months after, two months after uh, a general election that resulted in a a large majority for the Conservative Party, and therefore at least we have now uh, uh, left the European Union without without dragging you down the political rabbit hole <laughs> here, at least. Is there a hope now that because of that clarity, we may start to see a far more s- s- far more certainty in the market? And what are your hopes for the next twelve months? Um, I think. I think that that we've still got a little way to go because um, whilst you know, thirty first of January came and went, um, you know, we're now we're now in a negotiation period. We're now in a transition period, um, and for for UK um, savers and uh, and investors, uh, in terms of where the rules are made, there's still there's still not some clarity about that. Um, you know, we're we're still uh, well, we don't know yet whether we're still tied um, or will be tied to the um, European rulemaking um, down the line. That's still to be negotiated. I mean, we've always said that actually for for savers and investors, we need stability in the markets and we need access to funds. Um, however, it, it, you know the, the majority of our of our firms look after UK savers, um, and therefore, a one of the positives we see is the ability to have a a rule book 
that makes sense for UK savers and investors and UK firms. Um, so there's an, uh, we think that there's an opportunity there with definitely without um, watering down regulation. So we're definitely not talking about less regulation. Yes. What we're talking about is smarter mm. regulation, which makes sense for firms and makes sense for clients. Um, and as we've got a very unique industry in terms of savings and investments um, um, in, Euro- in Europe, England, or U- the UK rather, and, and Ireland are unique amongst our European counterparties. So when you have a European rule book or a rule book that is set in Europe that doesn't bear any relation to the model of intermediation that we have here, that has caused us problems in the past, and we're hoping that we will be able to affect that in the future with a local regulator and a local local rulemaker. But we will see. That is still all part of the of the melting pot. So, whilst I'd like to be posi- positive and, and optimistic about the market, <laughs> um, we've still got this period um, of uh, of negotiation, and uh, until we see where we go to with that. Uh, and of course, you've got financial services and fisheries amongst the same piece, you know. <laughs> famous bedfellows, aren't they? Indeed, um, absolutely, absolutely. So we've still got to wait and see, I think. It, absolutely. Um, and it will be an uh, interesting year, num- if nothing else. Um, yes. uh, now, you, you, you mentioned there, at least uh, the role of, uh, of course, regulators. I know uh, in the last month or so, obviously, uh, uh, PIMFA has. Uh, given its fair amount of critique to um, the FCA, um, are they at the moment doing their job correctly? Um, I think part, I, th- I don't envy the regulator one iota. Um, uh, I think if you look at the the number of people that they have in the supervisory team and the number of firms that they have to regulate, um, it, it, it is not an enviable job um, by any stretch of the imagination. Yes, we have been critical, not least of all because we are expecting um, better supervision to prevent firms from failing and certainly to prevent firms from failing in the spectacular way that they have uh, in the last few years, which has impacted on the size of the financial services compensation scheme levy. And this levy is paid for by by firms within the industry. And our firms are a majority of small to medium-sized firms, and their bills have gone up exponentially. Our criticism is that, you know, we we don't object to having an FSCS levy um, or, you know, the lifeboat funds to pay, you know, recompense to to consumers. Uh, and, and our view is has always been that the polluter pays. But the polluters have, have long since folded by the time it comes to any payment, which means that good firms are paying for bad firms. So the system, we believe, is broken. Um, and, and I think that is about the regulatory perimeter. Um, you know, what is it that the, that the lifeboat fund should be protecting? The perimeter is too big. So that, you know, what is the nature of risk? That all needs to be um, uh, redefined. 
we believe, and recalibrated, which then enables you to determine, well, if that's what risk is, then how do we protect it and how do we levy for it? Mm -hmm. Um, And that is all linked to better supervision. So that is something we have been critical about. Um, We're in the process of finalizing a paper uh, which we um, which we have positioned in a constructive manner, which is these are some of the things that we believe FCA you should be looking at in your supervisory process, and we want to help you to do your job better. Now I I know there's no such thing as a a magic wand, Liz, and perhaps it'll be putting you on the spot. <laughs> but if let's imagine let's let's imagine you did have one just for the just for this afternoon perhaps, and you were able to change one thing about that. Uh, system, and perhaps I shouldn't ask this because if your report isn't out yet, you might want to reveal something that's in it. Um, but if you could, um, what, what would be your number one priority? If we, if we were to, if I were, my number one priority to to solve the system in terms of reform, in terms of reform, what regulatory yeah, reform yes. you mean? Um, I think. Oh goodness me, the one thing. Um, it is a bit of a mean I, question. Uh, it is. Gosh, yes. Wow. Um, I, I think it's about the regulatory perimeter. Sure. Um, I, I think let's have a look at the regulatory perimeter, um, which is, you know, gives some certainty to to clients about what is protected and what is not protected, which also then gives some assurity both to them and also to the advisors who have to advise those clients on what What's the pathway to success for them? And what? And and I think if there's some clarity around all of that, then everybody will be will be better off. Great. Now I'm conscious of the time here, Liz. It's already catching up with us. So perhaps if we can take a a little step back and uh, and look at um, uh, the operations of Pimfer again. It's what Pimfer do, does so well is its ability to build relationships with so many uh, different uh, organisations. Can that really, Liz, be underestimated, the importance of having those working relationships with, with the departments and the organisations that you do have? No, I don't. I, I think it's absolutely fundamental um, to any business, actually. Mm. But it's certainly something that that we have in the middle of the stick of rock that is PIMFA. Uh, I mean, we talk about the, you know, the values that we have as an organization. We, we are a small organization uh, and we can't do our job unless we work in partnership and collaboration with others. So relationship building um, and maintaining and creating a good foundation of relationships is absolutely fundamental to what we do. Without a doubt. And I, I think that's the key point, Liz, isn't it, that that's so applicable to any realm, whether it's business or, or politics or uh, any areas of life. And I think and because of the time here, we, we, I, I must start to wrap up. But um, perhaps I can ask, Liz, looking forward, and I know the next 12 months is full of uncertainty, what are uh, the plans PIMFA has for it nonetheless? Um, so I think our well, our key priority this this next twelve months is 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 to be talking um, much more, um, and we 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 have been lobbying um, a fair bit on this. But because of Brexit, um, our ability to actually kind of get into um, see the policymakers 
on both sides, I think, to have that dialogue has been a challenge. Um, but we're finding that that is changing. They, you know, they, they want to hear from us. So I think our priority is around that regulatory perimeter. Um, and what does, what does regulation look like for, uh, for us moving forward? But at the same time, it's not just about the future of regulation, but it's also about the future of supervision mm. because the two of those go hand in hand. Um, so those, those two, um, are kind of what are, are the main, the main areas over the course of this next year. Having said that, um, you know, we have a manifesto that's got six, that's got six pillars in it. Um, and regulation and supervision and the future of that is, is just, um, is just one of those things. There are a whole host of another of other things promoting the sector as a as a force for good and as an integral part of a of an individual's kit bag um, for financial and mental well being uh, is is another key strand of, of activity. So I think future of regulation, future of supervision, and then promoting the sector as an integral part of uh, of um, everybody's kit bag in building their personal financial futures. Well, Liz, there might never be a, a more important year, uh, or has not been in a while, that will determine the future of all of those things. And perhaps never a year where so many people pay attention to what happens to Britain's fish stocks. Um, but it's been <laughs> it's an absolute pleasure discussing that uh, leadership with you today. Uh, I hope very much we can sit down perhaps later this year uh, when there's a bit more clarity perhaps and talk through a few more things. Thank you. I would love to do that. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.